Hello, Stephen. Hey. And dear listeners, and welcome wow. to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I almost forgot. I almost part. got it, yeah. I demand the people know who I am. I'm Stephen Hilger. Thanks for joining us. I want to, I want to start the episode. Um, I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, but I want to start the episode issuing an apology because in last week's episode, we did a bit, which is maybe one of my favorite all-time bits on the show, which was I just get to sit back and listen to you off the dome rattle off every zodiac sign and what game (laughs) franchise they represent and instead of just letting you have your beautiful mind moment i decided to interject for one brief fleeting moment and say that virgos were call of duty modern warfare and never in never in the history of us doing this show have i felt more like i wronged a group of people It's so funny because our friend Will, uh, we love you, is a Virgo, and I didn't know that. And he was texting me while listening. He was like, oh, my God, I love this. I'm waiting for Virgo with bated breath. Oh, and no. he was like, <laughs> Call of Duty? Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> this is my fault. So I here, look. Right here and now, I think we should make it right. What do you think Virgos should be? So actually, I was talking to Will about this because uh, <laughs> we also, as many Virgos as we angered, we have gained the allegiance of all Scorpios, which I'm very happy about. It's a powerful yeah. ally. Yeah. Your take on Scorpios is right. I, I agree with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a really fun question to do. Uh, another shout out to TK for asking that and letting me uh, have my beautiful mind moment. <laughs> Will suggested one that I think is really good that I'm amazed wasn't brought up before. But if you are a Virgo and you heard Call of Duty Modern Warfare and you're uh, angry about that, let me offer an alternative, which would be Pokemon. And I'm going to just quote Will on this because he had good reasoning for it. A little bit because I think he just wanted Pokemon, but (laughs) it's sort of like seemingly chill, but you do have to have like an innate understanding of the elements and like Mm. you can secretly min-max things while appearing kind of like childlike and aloof. Yeah. So... Just for the sake of having Pokemon on the on the Zodiac wheel, I'll say that Virgos can also be Pokemon. But honestly, and I, I don't want to undermine our, our insult, <laughs> oh, no, I do know oh, some no, Virgos oh, no. that have Call of Duty energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But hey, it really just depends because, you know, there's the whole rising sign stuff. Like, I think everyone has a little bit of Call of Duty in them somewhere. <laughs> whether you're honest with yourself or not so uh but yeah apologies to the virgos also apologies uh we had some like nuanced conversations in the discord about sonic because i think at one point in the show we just said sonic is bad (laughs) i I, look i stand by what i said about sonic the hedgehog i loved those games i want to be very clear that i was like yeah i grew up playing the sega genesis i loved those games i had a great time with them and i just like don't know if that style of gameplay holds up as much that does not discount like how incredible they were when they launched totally what they were able to pull off with that hardware like the the legacy of sonic exists because of how great they were at the time Absolutely. i just like going back and playing them again i was like i am not this is not a game i want to like finish you know like i could right. pick up super mario brothers today and be like i would love to play this whole game again right now because it really holds up in sonic not as much for me um totally. but still like at the time i mean amazing ridiculous yeah and i think there's a there's a way to like honor that without like discounting 
thing. And not to say that you you did that, but I think you can be like, okay, this is really important at the time, even though it hasn't aged well. Like, it still means a lot to me because of that. Um, for context, too, this conversation came up because one of the one of the ten thousand questions we got last episode was, "Have you played something you really liked recently that you were like, oh man, this is kind of rough?" And my answer was Sonic Adventure Two Battle, which tragically is just a terrible game. Right, and mine was the three Sonic Advance games that I had revisited. <laughs> There's obviously a lot of love like in that series overall. But anyway, yeah. I do still think that there could be a, a good Sonic the Hedgehog game in 2021 and beyond. Like, I don't I don't think that it's like a nut that can't be cracked, you know, yeah. um, but like an Eggman that can't be hatched. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but sorry. on that front, on the on the topic of hatching, I still think. That, that 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 a Chow Garden spinoff game like I would love would be that unbelievable. so much. Yeah, it could literally have nothing new and just be exactly what it was. And just I would yeah, love rip it. it right out and just like you don't have to do Escape from the City forty five times to get the <laughs> specific like vial of green energy that the Chow needs. Yeah, the Chow Garden was basically like you got a skateboard to some ska like to feed your pets yeah it was it was literally like like the sega corporation being like how do we make people grind like it's an rpg but in sonic the hedgehog (laughs) (laughs) how do we make this game a ruse for raising chows but yeah there is i think there is like a fan-made chow garden game that came out like a few years ago Hmm. but i haven't really heard much about it so maybe it's good maybe it's not i don't know but um there's definitely like a huge void for that for sure I will say, though, as soon as I said the word or as soon as you said the word hatch out loud, the first thing that happened was I had like like uh, like a vision from the past and maybe the future about Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg, which is like a game I completely forgot existed, which I think is by the same team. <laughs> is it? I don't yeah. know what that is. Yeah. I, I, it was it was like a like an, another attempt at like a 3D platforming new IP kind of thing, you know, in the gotcha. style of like Knights or Ball and Wonder World land. Yeah. I think it's world, but I also like immediately forgot that game existed. <laughs> anyway, uh, apologies to the Virgos. We appreciate your understanding and uh, we're sorry. I just wanted to clear the air. I wanted to like point at the elephant in the room and be like, that is an elephant. It's in this room, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'm glad we addressed it. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we mean no harm, Virgos. We appreciate <laughs> your kindness and patience. I, I still like even listening back to the edit of that episode. I'm amazed that you did that. But oh. all of that aside... <laughs> <laughs> All of that aside, here's the thing. I want to I want to be totally upfront with like the listener and with you. Is like we have two games that we want to talk about today. One of them is Famicom Detective Club, uh, specifically Famicom Detective Club in the Missing Air, which is like a game I'm playing on the Nintendo Switch at the moment. And the other one is Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And I have played about two to three hours of Famicom Detective Club and about one hour of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And all I want to do is talk about Mass Effect. I look <laughs> like if we discuss on this episode Mass Effect for like a normal segment length, and then we can talk about Famicom Club. Fine. Cool episode. But like personally, I would like to sit here for two hours and talk about Mass Effect because like my experience in the first hour of that game has blown me the fuck away in a, in, in a way that I have not felt in a long time with a video game. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. Which I know makes you happy. I think I mean, we could do Famicom Detective Club as like a weird vaudeville bit like in the middle just to break <laughs> up the Mass Effect. Or we can save it for next time. I'm happy to do either. You you streamed the first like couple hours of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Um, yeah. And you've played a lot more since, right? 
Yeah, so basically my plan has been like I wanted to stream the whole trilogy, which I kept saying like casually as if it wasn't like a giant task to take on. Right. But I like giving myself challenges like that for for streaming, like with the Nuzlocke and stuff. But anyway, I I streamed the first three hours. And honestly, it was it's a really good like section of the game because it's like you meet most of the characters. Mm. Shepard gets like their call to adventure. So like honestly, like that will probably be on our YouTube at some point uh, around this episode coming out. Yeah, by the time this episode's out, it'll be up. That's not a bad way to like get a taste of like what Mass Effect 1 is like and what the Legendary Edition is like. Yeah. I will continue streaming it periodically. My my main feeling was like I streamed the three hours and I was like, oh man, this is so much fun. I love sharing this, but I also want to keep playing it all the time and not always have to stream it. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to like periodically stream it. So like eventually you'll get like an abridged version of the trilogy, yeah. which is probably for the better. Cause I, I don't know if like having the full like 80, cause I, I talk to everyone, man. So like, even though that's part of the game, <laughs> I think uh, it might be better just to like check in every, you know, blue moon and, and uh, share what's happening with um, my, my shepherd's name is Stephen High Shepherd. Cause I tried <laughs> to write Stephen Elker and it cut it off. <laughs> So Stephen High Shepherd's adventures will continue. But yeah, I have played eight hours of Mass Effect 1. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. How? Okay, so j- I guess just like table setting context stuff, uh, yeah. Mass Effect Legendary Edition, it's a re-release of all three Mass Effect games for the PlayStation 4, Xbox, uh, like the Xbox family of stuff, and PC, I believe, as well. Uh, it is a like remaster, not a remake, just to be like specific yes. about it. We actually talked about some stuff with this game when they first announced it. Some like the cooler stuff, like I think they used some like cool upscaling AI to output all the new textures and stuff. And like it looks awesome. But yeah, that that dropped. And I think you and I for like the longest time have wanted to talk about Mass Effect, like maybe do a bonus episode on it or whatever. And then as soon as they announced this, it was like, oh, we should just wait and then see how this feels when it comes out. And I think both of us were a little hesitant about how it was going to turn out because, you know, I mean, there's obviously like the whole like what's Bioware been up to from like a quality perspective recently uh, mass effect andromeda like famously like not great so i was a little bit hesitant about it you know but my thought was always like if you just take those three games and just up them like that'll be good and then they started announcing that they were going to make changes to mass effect one to make it like a little more playable mechanically because like also famously like that game doesn't handle as well as the other two so it's kind of hard to like tell people like go play the trilogy because mass effect one is like kind of rough and then two and three gets really good and my experience with the games in in the history the long lineage of mass effect was i picked it up for two like i got two first and then played a bunch of hours of it and then put it down because i was like i really want to play the first one so i can Mm. carry my progress over because like that's kind of part of the charm of this franchise is being able to carry your shepherd over from one game to another absolutely yeah so i stopped playing two and then never went to play one because i kept hearing like how rough it was mechanically comparatively and then mass effect 3 came out and then had like the weird stuff where like people didn't like the ending or whatever right Um, right. and the only console that i had that uh had it or like could play it was the wii u which like i wasn't gonna get mass effect 3 on the wii u and not import my characters whatever that sums up the wii u that mass effect 3 alone was a launch <laughs> was title like it's so that and batman arkham city i think yeah 
like this Weird. is so bizarre yeah because like you could start like like you said earlier just like for full context of how bizarre that is like your shepherd will carry through all three games like your decisions and the characters and like the things you've done and said will carry through the whole trilogy i also started with two which i'll talk about more later and you can kind of get away with that in some ways but you really can't start with three like it's really like you're watching mm. return of the jedi and that's <laughs> it but like even more esoteric like you really have to at least play two but I just want to like it just it's just so funny that, that was a Wii U launch title. I know it's <laughs> anyway. bizarre. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Just that's that's my like abridged history of of me playing Mass Effect. I just have always known that it would be a, a franchise that I would like love to play through all of, but I never really knew the right way to do it. And this is like such an easy avenue towards that. Um, yeah. That like the idea of of this package being released was like just such an obvious yes for me. And my time with it already has been like awesome. I mean. Just, I guess for, uh, honestly, playing Mass Effect 1 already, I don't know what changes they made to it mechanically, and I'm excited to hear a little bit about, like, how you feel about that. But it plays, like, so fine that, like, I don't know. Did they make a lot of changes? Because, like, it feels totally okay. Like, it's so playable. It's so all right. Like, I don't even know, like, what would have been wrong with it. I have so much to say, Brendan. I have, like, eight, like, (laughs) bags of things sealed in my head. I'm like, when do I sprinkle the seeds? When do the (laughs) trees grow? I just want to touch on one thing really important that I think is, like, if there's any takeaway from this conversation, I think that, like, you know, you said that, like, in the lead up to this, we were both kind of weary. I kept, like, emotionally preparing myself for them to, like, be bad in some way or, like, be, like, a misfire. But all I really wanted is all three games with all DLC in one place. Mm -hmm. It goes back to game preservation. The originals are on Game Pass, which is an important thing to know. Like, if you want to play, like, all three as they were, they all are on Game Pass. I don't know if the DLC is, but I know for a fact that, like, those are all there. And if you you don't have Game Pass in your country, uh, also um they're all just like available in backwards compatibility on xbox as well um so like there are ways to play the three original games like currently even if you don't have game pass right but it's just like really nice in a game preservation sphere to have like this all one collected package yeah totally it's kind of amazing this didn't happen sooner and that's kind of why i was worried about it because i'm like bioware is in like a really rough place right now like i'm really hoping like things improve internally and like you know i want them to make whatever they want to make but that's the irony is like it doesn't seem like they know what they want to make and what ea allows them to make it's like a really scary like situation Mm -hmm. but i just was worried i'm like is this just sort of like a quick cash grab like in the interim between like whatever the next thing is um and it's definitely not i mean again i think like as long as long as they didn't like completely butcher the games i was happy just to have them all as they were um and to your question about like how does mass effect one play i think you're right i think it's mostly fine the things that make mass effect one rough mechanically so like just for some context of like what the games are there's this sort of like half and half of mass effect where half of it is like rpg talking to people dialogue options like that's a lot of the game and that's the stuff that people really love and that's what's ageless about all three of these games is like right the parts of the game where you go back to your ship and you just like report on what happened like with people and they comment on what your choices were 
it still feels really good. It doesn't feel like how some, like, I feel like that was like kind of a, a zeitgeisty thing at the time where it's like, you can choose anything. In some games, it's like very ham handed and doesn't really like feel authentic. You know, it's like you made the evil choice or whatever. Right, like, right, right. But in Mass Effect 1, what's really ingenious and what's like sometimes a point of tension, but I think overall pays off is sometimes you don't even realize you're making decisions until after the fact. Or yeah. if you're playing it again, you're like, oh my God, this went completely differently last time. So that's one half of the game is like, you know, the role playing, the dialogue, the relationships, all that is kind of almost like Persona-esque in some ways. The other half is like, cover based shooting with like light action RPG elements. So like every character is a different class. There are three arcs you can go down. So there's combat biotics, which is like space magic and uh, tech and Shepard, who's the protagonist who you can name and customize. They can be any class and every other character in your squad is like something else. So you'll see when you make your squad of three, like what your strengths are for biotics tech combat. Um, The reason Mass Effect 1 was really rough to play, even in 2010, because I also played 2 first. Then when 3 came out, I took that Shepard and finished 3 and, and loved both games. And then I was curious about 1 because I'd never played it and became such a huge fan. Mm. So I played 1 through 3 in like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Machete order. Machete order. <laughs> and was like really like even at that time it was rough to play and the reason it was rough is because like the cover based shooting always felt kind of messy the ai of your characters was kind of rough or they would just like run around in any direction yeah and the class balance was like really off so like if you weren't a soldier you had no chance of winning oh interesting and it was just like kind of messy in that way that being said it was beloved when it came out because as we'll get into, it is such a good intro to like a new sci-fi world. And honestly, yeah, like this is not only one of my favorite game series of all time, but this is one of my favorite like works of science fiction. Like I love the world of Mass Effect. It's the elevator pitch is like Star Trek with good alien design. That's like what I would say to someone. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you wanted to watch Star Trek, but you were put off by like the rubber suits, this is like for you. But it really is more than just that. Like, it's one of those works where like you can tell like it's wearing its influences on its sleeve, but they're taking so much inspiration that it really becomes its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say in short, uh, I'm going a bit all over the place because I'm very excited. But yeah. in terms of how it plays so far, it's still Mass Effect 1 to me. I don't feel like it's dramatically different. The AI is still a little bit of an issue where like my squad mates are like always in my way. Yeah, they're stormtroopers. They, they I have I've not seen them <laughs> land a shot the whole time I've played so far. Um, but it's definitely like I just played through what I considered in my first I've only played through Mass Effect one once, so it's like very fresh to me still. Yeah. I played through what I considered in 2010, 2011, like the roughest part of the game, like mm-hmm. where I almost put it down out of frustration. And it was okay this time. So like, <laughs> it's definitely better. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, I think if you're, if you don't know that and you're just playing for the first time, it will feel like a 2007 game, but not in a way where like you won't, like there's so much more to like that I don't think that will get in the way anymore. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say this as a person who's like new to Mass Effect 1, you know, yeah. th- this is my first ever experience with it having heard over the years how rough it is mechanically um the changes that they've made i couldn't even fathom what was so bad about it originally and like i i agree that like the cover based stuff is a little like weird like the animations are hilarious the way they yeah. uh, like shuffle like along walls is like, like almost doing like a, a sideways crab walk it's like so funny um, yeah so like it definitely has those like remnants of 2007 in there but on the whole i mean the 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 whole first like i don't know 30 minutes of that game maybe 
45 minutes is like an extended action sequence, essentially. And it was like so fine. And honestly, like as I was playing through it, I was like, okay, this is me. You know, I made my shepherd. I'm going through this action sequence. It's all combat, which is the thing I've always heard is rough. And if I'm okay with this at level zero with no abilities, no class customization, nothing, then I'll probably enjoy the rest of it. Totally. And uh, and and as you said, I mean, the reason I'm here anyway are, are for the story beats and dialogue trees and all that kind of stuff, because that's like really where the meat of the game is. And, and that's, I think, where a lot of the uh, ingenuity of the game comes from. So like that stuff still fucking rips. But yeah, the fact that like the, the shitty part is like passable. Um, so if you're, if you're a person who has heard that over the years, like do not fear, start with mass effect one. Uh, I'm having a great time already. Yeah. And I mean, like there is also like when you get the legendary edition, you can choose any of the three games to start with. So like, if you really want to skip it, you can, but I, I think it's really worth starting with one. And yeah. honestly, my opinion of one has gone higher after, after playing what I have, because like, it's interesting. And, and I think I'm kind of putting off like specifics of the game, like the characters and stuff. Cause that would be like the bulk of like, maybe yeah our next section but it's as someone who like started with two and who like really like if there's anything to praise about these games is the characters are so well written and so like deep and and by the end of the trilogy you really feel like you've gotten to know them as people which is you know very similar to persona in that way yeah also all three mass effect games in the aggregate are the same length as a persona games that tracks Persona right. 5 takes as long to play as all three Mass Effect as, games. as the trilogy with all DLC. <laughs> um, but, like, I think that's why people have loved this series for as long as they have. And, I mean, the other part of me that was, like, nervous about going back to these was, like, I haven't played them in five years. Um, right. I, like I said, I, I did my initial playthrough when they came out. I did... Uh, another playthrough as one through three. So I've basically done the trilogy twice, although I haven't done all the DLC. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's like, I've done um, Lair of the Shadow Broker, which is, sometimes I like seeing discussions of like, what is is considered the best DLC? Like, how do you do DLC well? And like, if you go on any conversation about that, Lair of the Shadow Broker is like the one. Like it's such- The way Mass Effect handled DLC, at least with the second game, was like, there's Lair of the Shadow Broker, which is a chapter that's all about Liara, because she's actually not in the main cast of two. So people who like romance Liara in the first game or who just wanted to see more of that character were like, why isn't she around? Like, I would love to like, she's important to my story. I want to see, you know, her in this world. Is it integrated with the game? Like if you, if you are playing through legendary edition then, and that's just like wrapped up into this package, Yeah, it'll just be another mission. It'll be like seamlessly integrated within everything. Great. That's exactly how it should work. Totally. That's awesome. And there's two other characters, uh, Zaid and Kasumi, who I've never met yet. They're Mm -hmm. like two DLC mission characters. Cool. So that's exciting. For three, there is... This is also one of the many points of controversy <laughs> that was lingering around Mass Effect 3. But um, there was a character named Javik who was DLC day one who like I purchased. And it's like shocking how much like his presence changes that entire game. And you can tell like he was not supposed to be DLC. You know, like that was not interesting intended at all. Uh, it was probably just an EA thing. Yeah. And I'm really glad like because I know a lot of people who have played through the trilogy and who didn't recruit 
Dravic, and I'm just so excited for them to like get him this time. And this is this is almost like the cosmic opposite of like what George Lucas constantly does to Star Wars, where it's like <laughs> we actually now have all the missing pieces in one place. Like, right. you know, there's no longer like you're you're not getting the fractured game. You're getting like the entire thing. And even though they've ch- like I've seen some conversations online about like, oh, the lighting in Mass Effect one in certain scenes like changes the mood. And like, I understand that as someone who doesn't have like a strong memory of the first game, I have not noticed it really at all. Yeah. This is the conversation that always pops up about this yeah. kind of stuff. I, I, I think about this a lot with, uh, with Demon Souls, which like I played the original Demon Souls on PS3. I really liked what was going on there and, and playing it on PS5. I, I saw a lot of conversations about like, okay, you're taking these like kind of rough, low poly character skeletons and like trying to turn them into something more high res and 4k and whatever um and in the process of doing that you lose a little bit of that intentionality or like some of that ambiguity totally of those models kind of gets lost in in the process of like making it essentially photorealistic but for me I'm just happy to be playing Demon Souls again. It's kind of where I land right. on it. Like, I do agree, you know, I, I I don't think that people like, you know, those who worked at Bluepoint on Demon Souls, you know, made that game and were like, we're just going to throw out all of the, uh, like, atmosphere <laughs> and vibe of this. I think they tried to recapture it as best as they possibly can. Yeah. And I think that's definitely the case here as well. It does kind of, I've, I've already noticed, it kind of runs into some of the stranger, like, recent remaster or, like, 4K release problems that I've noticed. I The one that I always point at is Judgment like the original judgment versus the judgment that's available on the series or the Xbox series consoles and the PS5 right now is like they replaced a lot of the baked in lighting and atmospheric stuff with like now you know, ray traced and like dynamic lighting. And that actually changes the vibe of some scenes. And like that bums me out a little bit, but also judgment is still a good video game, you know, like, right. I I think that this is just like a strange byproduct of we have this new technology and like people need to, or people feel like they want to make use of it, you know, in their new like 4k remasters. I think I would be more critical of the decision if the original still like, you can still get the original. That's sort of my point where it's like, Mm. if you want to have that experience, like you can yeah and again i'm not trying to i'm not trying to like discredit those critiques of the game i just haven't noticed them get in the way for me yeah that being said and this is something that i like because you know i love oblivion but like no like you'll be in these environments and like your brain will like forget you're playing a 2007 game and then you'll talk to an npc who like they clearly didn't care to like brush up and it's like <laughs> ah! like it's like yeah. it's like it looks like you downloaded the wrong order of skyrim mods where like they'll have like super realistic <laughs> eyelids but like nothing else and like yeah. glued on hair yeah i mean that was one of the things about andromeda that people pointed out a lot was like a lot of the the facial animations were like just kind of bizarre like they somehow like went deeper into the uncanny valley than like the original mass effect had in in certain ways um and some it feels like some of that has carried over into this game like it feels a little bit like andromeda-esque if you compare um some of the facial animations between the two you can tell who they cared about which is very funny to me like the main cast looks pretty great especially the aliens like rex and garris look oh my like god amazing yeah, yeah all the yeah. turians just like they it was yeah. watching them breathe and stuff like amazing and that's the thing like i just i love the design of the aliens in this game like the turians are definitely a standout like they kind of have like bird like dinosaur feet features Mm -hmm. the krogans are great too because they're like you know these like kind of rhino-esque like battle ready aliens but they're 
built in a way where they kind of also look like they're in baby carriages, which is like yeah, a whole you know once you learn more about their history, like I feel like that's like weirdly intentional. But uh, yeah, the 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 design of the aliens is like incredible, and and even the human cast, like Shepard and Caden and Ashley, like look fine. You know, like yeah. you definitely feel more like you're playing a 2007 game, but like the main cast, like look like they belong in the video game. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like the guy who gives you like a sub quest in the Citadel is like, man, you were in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. And it is kind of nice knowing that like this will be the fidelity throughout the entirety of the experience. And you're going to have a very seamless like visual vibe the whole time, which eventually it'll just fade away into the background, just let you engage with the story entirely, which is what we want. And two and three are, are like, even though they were on the same console, like they are a noticeable jump in that quality, like mm. the animations and the like, I don't think they would have had to touch up those games as much. But uh, it's so funny, though, because like you can really tell we we not too long ago did an episode about Dragon Age Origins and you can really yeah. tell they made this game around the same time. I lose it every time. There's like the Bioware walk off camera and to dialogue that like kills me. Or, like, you know, like a scared villager will be like, help, you've got to help. And then they just sort of like slow. Like it's like four seconds. They just walk off camera and then it cuts out. <laughs> Goodbye. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can do a whole episode on on uh, Shepard's deadpan. Like, thanks for telling me. I should go. You yeah. Know, like that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, like uh, you have a conversation, it just gets increasingly more hostile <laughs> as you have it. And then eventually you've just like you, you accidentally out of order, like picked all of the more and more and more and more hostile uh, dialogue yeah. tree options. And then you're like, oh, actually, there's nothing else to say. And then at the end, it's like, thanks for talking to me. See ya. Right. <laughs> when I was streaming, me and Shower having a joke that like my shepherd and Caden were trying to like out him bow the other because like <laughs> I kept <laughs> I was choosing the dialogue in a way where like I would talk to someone for like hours about like Prothean culture and then Shepard go like where am I? (laughs) 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 And then Kate will be like wow this city's so big and then Shepard's like what's a city? You know so good yeah i actually i just did that because i i we we got to talk about the citadel eventually but like i was wandering around the citadel and i just like wandered into uh like the office of a a turian ambassador or something Mm, um and had this like really like brutal conversation about like why he doesn't trust humans as like a race and all this stuff and it was like really 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 hostile uh and then at the end it was like what's your job here It gets me every time. It's just so funny. Uh, I'm very endeared to my shepherd. I'm playing kind of like, so there are two moral systems in the whole trilogy. There's Paragon and Renegade. Yeah, I wanted to ask Which I actually really like as philosophies. I have some points of tension with like how they're implemented, but in Mass Effect 1, or actually throughout the whole trilogy, Paragon is essentially Katz and Picard, like diplomacy long-term thinking how can we benefit everyone and like really try to look at this objectively Mm -hmm. and renegade is more like impulsive we got to get the job done no matter what right something about mass effect one there are like shepherd is never evil like in dragon age origins you can be an evil character yeah but in in mass effect like you can never stray too far off the path that being said the first game does allow you to like do way shadier stuff than like the other two ever would. (laughs) And it's really, it's really interesting to see how like there are like actually evil decisions you can make. But for the most part, I enjoy playing as a mix of the two. I've been mostly Paragon, 
but I have like done Renegade just like here and there. And like, depending on what choices of dialogue you make and like at the end of a conversation, it will say like you got X Paragon points or Renegade. Yeah. I think it's most interesting to play as a mix, but you do eventually have dialogue choices that are like locked out unless you have enough points in one of them, which is kind of annoying. That being said, what's really cool about one and one of the things I'm learning that I actually prefer about Mass Effect 1 is there's way more like RPG customization. So like whenever characters level up, you can put points in like specific weapons or specific skills that unlock new things. And Shepard, no matter what class they are or how you're playing them, will have charm or intimidate, which yeah. like adds to the dialogue options, which is a really nice way to like kind of counteract the like limitations of the two like ideologies. Yeah, I've heard that um, the recommendation is to really pick one over the other between Paragon and Renegade. Not that you would like, as you mentioned earlier, not that you know in certain conversations which one you're actually choosing. You know, you don't, sometimes you don't even realize that you've made a choice that will affect Paragon or Renegade, which I've had happen already in the first like hour and a half, like multiple times, which is cool. But do you do you think that's the recommendation? Because I what I have found so far, at least trying to play as myself, is that I have picked Paragon every single time, uh, kind of subconsciously. And that's the thing. There's a really good Game Makers Toolkit episode about Mass Effect yeah. called The Shared Ownership of Shepard, I believe. Mm. And it's about how Shepard is like this interesting middle ground between like a predefined character and allowing you to role play as them. Yeah. The the comparison that he made to Shepard in another game is Geralt in Witcher 3, where like mm. you're always going to be Geralt. I think Geralt is a little bit more on the rails, but like it's a similar thing where a lot of it is like the choices you're making and how you're interacting versus yeah. like who you are. Kind of Kentucky Route Zero adjacent in a weird way where it's like these are all a little bit these are these are all things that Shepard potentially could say but you're you're choosing the the uh, source of truth essentially so in terms of choosing one yes and no I think that the thing about Mass Effect 1 especially is that you know like like we both said in passing just like talking to the crew on the ship or talking to people in various locations you'll get Paragon or Renegade points but then there are like very clearly broadcasted giant decisions Mm. that will give you like a huge amount of one or the other so like okay it's, it's not a huge spoiler, and this is actually, I think, something that's interesting to broadcast because it's one of the more interesting decisions in the game. One of the early missions, you go to this research lab that's overrun by an alien species called the Rachni. The Rachni are like bug-like lizards. They're really hard to fight. So like the game does a really brilliant thing where you have to like constantly like try to defeat these things that are like so ahead of you. Like they're poisoning you. They're breaking your shield. They're devastating. Yeah. And if you have Rex in your team, Rex is like the Rachni are back. Like the Krogans wiped them like literally to extinction because they threatened the galaxy like hundreds of years ago. Okay. So you f- you find out that this research lab is like they found an egg somewhere and they decided to bring the species back to like breed an army but of course it's not going well so i won't spoil the whole section but at the end you find that in in like a a tank there's the rachni queen who can communicate with you through like a dead body and she's like your songs are not the same as ours we can't sing like our children can't hear us and basically you're given the decision like do i kill this thing and like commit genocide or do i let it go because like I'm not in a position where I can objectively judge whether a species should live, but risk like the safety of the galaxy. Yeah, fuck. So I bring that up because you can like, for example, when I did one through three, I played mostly Renegade, but I made a lot of the big Paragon decisions Mm. uh, just because like I was like, I don't feel like even though I'm like kind of playing a Renegade character, I don't think she would commit genocide. 
in this way. Yeah. So I, I saved it and I was playing in a way where by the end I ha- I still had enough renegade points that like I could do the renegade options. So as long as you're savvy with like how much you have in one area, I think you can play as a mix. My reasoning, like it's definitely probably more fruitful to stick to one, but I just think it becomes less interesting because then you're just always selecting the same dialogue option and that's like kind of a bummer. Right. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you're given a dialogue tree and, and you're making a choice because you want to min-max a character and not because that's the choice you think the character would make, then that's like not really engaging with the system. I've also found that like a lot of the, especially in three, a lot of the specific lines of dialogue that are locked off for Paragon or Renegade are ones that like help you bypass a difficult choice. Mm. And sometimes I actually like having to make that difficult choice. Like there, there is one part of Mass Effect 3 where you have to choose a side that's like one of the hardest decisions to make like in a video game. And the Renegade or Paragon option lets you like just like kind of fix the situation. But I honestly like choosing a side more. I think it's a more dramatic scene. Mm. And I think it, it kind of like, especially in Mass Effect 3, like Shepard is so like just trying to hold the galaxy together at that point that it just feels more desperate yeah. in a way. But again, that's the beauty of the trilogy is like that's so up to you. You know, like that's and that's what I would encourage is like really play Shepard how you want. But I think it's worth knowing that like there will be limitations if you don't like fully max out Paragon or Renegade. Okay. Um, that's good to know. Famously, there's something if you have like max Renegade or Paragon in the final boss of Mass Effect 1, there's something you can do that's really cool with that. Um okay. that's like one of the moments that like really like what I keep thinking while playing this game too is like this came out in 2007 like this is so ahead of its time and still and the thing I was worried about which I mentioned a long time ago in this episode uh, (laughs) but I was like worried that they just like I was worried about the quality of the remasters and I was worried that the games themselves hadn't aged well like I'm Mm. like is this like still kind of like a mid 2010s novelty and the thing that I'm so happy to see is like the writing is just so fucking good and these characters are so good and it's so immersive that like even if like the decisions are like that's cool and that aids it but why you're there is like just to be like in this world and with these characters and getting to know them and like Mass Effect 1 especially there's so much lore you can uncover and it's like up to you like if you wanted to stick around in one place and just talk to everyone it's so cool which is the problem I'm having currently (laughs) which like I even even back when Mass Effect 1 came out I remember hearing like it it almost just became like a running gag that like oh yeah you're gonna get to the Citadel and then you're never gonna leave the Citadel which like to, just for context the Citadel is essentially like the center of the galaxy where like all of the all of the alien species like meet up and hang out and that's where like the big like council that oversees the whole galaxy lives um, and all that kind of stuff it's like you know where everybody meets uh, and when you get there I mean it is just like beautiful sci-fi future like utopic looking city and it's just packed with people you can talk to for like yeah ever and i sure have been then you add photo mode on top of it which is <laughs> yeah. in all three games in this game and now i'm just like essentially like talking to people and then like acting as a street photographer and that's all i've been doing what i'll say to someone playing for the first time is like at least give it until you get to the citadel like if you're not hooked right away like the citadel is like the re like that's where the game really becomes mass effect and not just like a you know action shooter yeah that was where i had my first moment of like oh man these alien designs are just unbelievable because like so frequently you'll you'll experience a sci-fi story in which like the the alien species that humanity is interacting with are just like humans but with like different looking uh like faces essentially you know just like humans with like 
like antenna or something. Right. Um, and it's so nice to see like completely different looking species like that obviously grew up on planets with like completely different conditions. Right. Um, it rules. I love the Elcor who are like these quadrupedal like elephants, but like without trunks. They yeah. have like weird like webbing and they're most of my stream is me talking to the Elcor ambassador because like great. Yeah. They all communicate in like a monotonous tone. So to there's no way they can change the pitch of their voice. So they always have to be like excited greeting. Welcome to the Elcor embassy. Human. Right. And they, like, they preface it. It's such, it's such a fun sci-fi thing. They, they literalize how they feel or like the tone of the message they're about to say right before they say it. it's so cool. Yeah. And, and, and there's just like a million, like when you get to the Citadel, you just are constantly meeting characters like that. Yeah. You meet a Henar who are like these kind of like Lovecraftian jellyfish that are on like giant tendrils and, and one wants to preach in the corner and the Turian cop is like, get out of here. Like, can you get this jellyfish? Like stop preaching. Oh my God. Of gosh. course I sided with the jellyfish, but uh, there's just like so much of that. And what's really great too. And I didn't even remember this. When you get to the Citadel, you get like everyone right away. Like, you recruit Tali, Rex, and Garrus, like, all at once. Oh, cool. I haven't got. You to can say yet. no, because there's a whole thing, like, w- one of the things that's, like, very prevalent in Mass Effect 1 is, like, like you said, the Citadel is run by this council, by the, um, the Asari, who are, like, blue humanoid women, who are the diplomats of the council. The Salarians, who look kind of like Area 51 aliens. Mm-hmm. They're the scientists. And then the Turians, who we described before, are kind of bird-like dinosaurs. They're like the military. So there's like three sort of branches of thought on the council. And humans are... They're the first species to be invited to the council, which Mm. like it's important to know that because it's not explicitly stated, but like everyone is kind of talking about it indirectly. Yeah. A lot of the other aliens are like envy, like the Elcor and the Volus. And there's like a lot of other species who have like been on the Citadel for like a long time that have not been invited to the council. Right. So everyone's like, who the fuck are humans that just show up and get this? But at the same time, you have a lot of the council like, cautiously trusting humanity because they're like they don't really know what humans deals are yet this is like one of the few works of sci-fi at least like in this kind of genre of sci-fi where like humans are like the new species like they're the new alien yeah. in the galaxy which is very fascinating and there are a lot of characters who like have different like uh, you meet anderson and udina who are um anderson is is uh i think he's a captain and udina is like on the council kind of as well i think but they sort of represent the paragon and renegade of shepherd where udina is like mm. Like, kind of sick of the bureaucracy and he's like go out there and do it but at the same time is like weirdly a human supremacist so he kind of sucks yeah and anderson very he much immediately like, sucks i've, I've only immediately- i've only talked to him once and i was like this guy i never want to speak to him again on on the flip side though anderson rules and he's uh performed by keith david who's just incredible yeah like in everything he His does performance is amazing already yeah he, a- anderson has a really great arc throughout the entire trilogy and like you know i think like garris and anderson are like no matter how you play the game like they always have your back like no matter who your shepherd is garris and anderson will always love you which is like a comforting feeling to have mm-hmm. like i literally did the most evil thing you can do in mass effect and garris is like remind me never to play poker with you shepherd and like <laughs> that was like, it and that was like all he had to say whereas in dragon age characters will be like i can't believe you did that and like leave you know yeah that was that was actually one of the things i really loved about my time with origins was like oh i really pissed this guy off actually so much so that he's no longer in my party and i just have a i just have an empty slot in this party forever now <laughs> i mean without spoiling there is stuff like that that happens in one 
Cool. And in two, li- like they set it up right away. It's not a spoiler. The final mission, like everyone can die like permanently. Well, depending on what you choose and, and how you play it. And there's also a whole element like two is like all about the cast, which is why I love it so much. And there are, you know, there's like the core path and then every character has a loyalty mission. If you do the loyalty mission, that character will be loyal to you, yeah. which basically means like they have a higher chance of surviving in the final mission. Mm. But there are events that can happen where you can lose your character's loyalty. And there's one actually with Tali um, in 2 where if you play her loyalty mission in a certain way, even if she lives in three, she like hates you. Like she, she's like, I'm here because I have to be like, I don't want to talk to you, wow. which like a world in which Tali hates me is not a world in which I want to <laughs> exist. <laughs> But yeah, there there is that. It's a little bit more like set in stone than in or- like Origins is very much like the role playing like canvas. Like you can do anything and be anyone in that game. Yeah, this one is a little bit more firmly defined. But like especially in one, there's still a lot of things that can happen, and um, it's just so immersive and cool. Do you want to maybe take like a small break and then talk specifically more about the story and the characters and like how you're feeling about that? I would love to do that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Oh my god, I didn't even realize how long we've been talking already. (laughs) And then, and then, and then? This is exactly what I wanted. I played Mass Effect for like an hour. I was like, I just want to talk about Mass Effect forever now. Who am I again? What is a city? You seem to have a lot of heads. What kind of species are you? I should go. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Steven, we're back. Talking more about Mass Effect Legendary Edition for various platforms. Yeah, expect more of this, too. I think this episode is going to be, like, light, light spoilers. Basically, in this section, we're going to talk a little bit more about, like, what's happening in the game plot-wise and story-wise and what we're liking about that. Especially, I'm very curious what you think, because this is your first time being here. Yeah. But uh, it's fresh enough that I I think I'll touch on, like, just differences between, like, this and the other games, characters I like. I I will try not to spoil specific moments as much. I think the most spoilery thing that exists in this episode is what I already said about the Rachni Queen. Mm -hmm. So, like, but I think think it's just, like, good to get, like, a sample of, like, what are the the big choices like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, it's not only the Rachni Queen. Everyone says, oh, this trilogy is all about the Rachni Queen. Big fucking deal. Yeah. We get it. You're bug royalty. Uh, I did love that tweet someone shared where it was like, everyone's like, Mass Effect is back. Here's my husband. And they share a picture of like the bug's life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's like Grasshopper. Yeah, Hopper's like right hand man yeah. from the bug's life. Yeah. <laughs> Garrus is way more handsome. Thank you. Yeah, Garrus is hot. I'll say it. I'll say it on the podcast. Garrus is hot. It's the voice and it's just like the cool. So that's actually very funny you bring that up because in Mass Effect 1, your squad mates are uh, Ashley and Caden, Rex, Garrus, Tali, and Liara. And the only romance options are Ashley, Caden, and Liara in the first game. Mm. And specifically because the Bioware writers at the time thought that Garrus and Tali would be too alien for the player to be attracted to and they were so wrong yeah <laughs> like every those are the two characters that have like the most thirst for them like, yeah in the trilogy it's so funny that's actually i think the biggest misfire of the first game is like the game really wants you to care about ashley and kaden and i just like so do not yeah i'm playing as femship and i don't want to hang out with kaden at all I, <laughs> nothing for kaden <laughs> Liara's great and Liara is really cool because she 
what I've been really liking about going back to one, if you watch the stream I did at the early hours, like whenever a character shows up, I gasp because I'm like, oh my God, it's them. <laughs> and like, they all have such great arcs throughout the trilogy that it's really fun to see like how they were in the first game. Yeah. I will say like not everyone is as well defined and like, you know, you're getting to know them. I mean, it's doing the job of the trilogy where it's setting a lot of things up. So like if it's your first time, you may not right away understand why people love these characters so much, but like you will, especially in two where like the focus is on them and their like personal stories. Yeah. Really? Who steals the show in this game is Rex. Rex is so good in this game and like his personality alongside his like view of the Krogans and like every character kind of falls on a spectrum of Paragon and Renegade and Rex is like the extreme Renegade where most of the time he's like just kill them this is a waste of time you know like he'll just (laughs) always be like that my favorite line of the game when you spare the Rachni Queen he goes great bugs are writing songs about you let's go Shepard you'll regret this (laughs) it's it's such a great line because it's like it's it's so, it's so funny. Like it's so uh, true to his character, um, and that's what's fun too. Whenever you have like a big decision, one of the characters will like be kind of like the renegade and paragon angel and devil on your shoulder, right? And Rex is always like, just kill them. Uh, but at the same time, he explains or very early on, you learn that the Krogans are very similar to the Klingons in Star Trek, where like a yes. very warrior centric culture. But like years and years ago, uh, after a war where the Krogans almost wiped out the galaxy, the Salarians and the Turians put something on their planet called the Genophage. One of the first things Rex brings up is like, the Genophage is basically this genetic disease that all Krogans have that results in like one out of every thousand births isn't a stillbirth. So basically like it's it's impossible to like have kids as a Mm. Krogan. They've called the population to the point where like most Krogans have given up and just become mercenaries. And Rex is like kind of on that path. Like he's very jaded. He, you know, he says he's given up on the Krogan. But as you get to know him, you also realize like he is also the hope for them. Like he does have more going on and he thinks that like they can do better. And seeing him grow throughout the trilogy is so fucking good. I love I have mm. art on my walls of Rex Tali and, and Garrus just just say just for the full picture. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be perfectly clear. Like this this episode has been fated to happen since before Into the Aether <laughs> was even a podcast. Yeah, I, and I and especially because you and I have been watching a lot of Star Trek in quarantine. Like Yeah, man. I've been waiting for you. Cause I and I, I think we did the right things. I think it was like it would have been weird to check them out on Game Pass before the the, the legendary edition was already on the horizon. Like we might as well just wait yeah we discussed doing episodes about mass effect before legendary edition was even announced because like it was like okay well this is being rumored but like how true is it like uh, i don't know like we were seeing so many rumors pointing to it existing that eventually it was like this is probably happening so we should hold off and then as soon as it got announced it was like okay halt all plans until this happens there's like a 90 percent chance that there will be a trilogy bonus episode at some point like once we're both done yeah or something yeah even if it's just me in my bedroom and i also think like I mean, it seemed like they're teasing Mass Effect 4 at one point as well. You know, like what that tease implied a Mass Effect 4. And like, I have to assume, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I have to assume that this release specifically is like, okay, play your Shepard on next gen consoles, carry that progress over to whatever 4 ends up being. I don't know about that. Just some, how oh, I okay. know. <laughs> okay. yeah, say, say nothing else. <laughs> 
But I do think you're onto something in that like the two games that are that have been teased from Bioware are the new Dragon Age. We know it's a sequel to Inquisition, which like yeah. was really the last game Bioware released that like people really loved. I have critiques of Inquisition, but it's a great game. I actually played it a lot of it recently again, and like we'll probably bring it up on the show at one point. It does what you want a Bioware game to do in that the characters are great, the writing is great, the like role playing is great. Can we, yeah, can we get into that a little bit? Like sure. Just your relationship with Bioware and just like what you what you want out of these games and like why oh, totally, some of them yeah. are hits and misses. Because I, I have like a much looser experience with Bioware where like I've played like three to four hours of like a lot of their games but never all the way through and you have like really kind of uh I don't know explored all that there is to see on all of yeah. those continents so I've talked about my time Mass Effect 2 was my first Bioware game also so it was both my intro to Mass Effect and also my first Bioware game I think I talked about this a bit on games of the decade because Mass Effect 2 is one of my bolded games yeah um but I've been like uncharacteristically like I've been waiting for this you know uh, right. Right. I've, I've been, been waiting, waiting for this. That's a Persona 3 meme from 2007. Anyway, <laughs> I <laughs> I remember in college, I was like 19 or 20. I feel like around that time, like 2010, there was a really big wave of nostalgia. That was like around the same time as Scott Pilgrim. Like retro was like a big thing. Yeah. And I think there's also a tendency, at least in my time in college, there's a tendency to like kind of obsess over older media. And like now that you're like in your late teens, early adult hood you're like looking back and all the stuff you grew up with and like seeing what works and what doesn't sort right. of at least that's what i found myself doing and my relationship with video games at that time was largely retro like even more than it is now which i know i still like often play older things but like i really only played older things like i showed up in college with like an n64 and you know we and i was ready uh the we at that time was current but there was always somebody in the dorm <laughs> i was that person yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah, but my roommate had a PS3. I did have a 360, but, you know, I mostly just played Oblivion, you know, and like, yeah, and a few fighting games. So like, I hadn't really caught up with what was coming out. Um, the first big release, obviously, was Skyrim, which we have a whole bonus about. And like, I talk about how that was a really shocking game when it came out, like playing yeah. Skyrim, you know, and seeing just the jump from Oblivion to that. Like, I, I really got sucked into Skyrim, but I eventually got to the point that you always get in a run of Skyrim where I felt like, OK, I don't really feel like I feel like I've done so much I've weirdly like ascended past the world like I don't feel like I'm there anymore you know mm -hmm. yeah. my character is so powerful that like I can just take on a town and feel nothing <laughs> So weirdly, like around that time in 2011, that's when I bought Mass Effect 2 on a whim. And it was really like the answer to that feeling because Mass Effect 2 is all about like your place in the world and who you are and what you're doing. I kind of expected it weirdly to be like a just sort of like a space game where you can like role play. But I didn't expect to like really fall in love with the world and the characters and like be so glued to my seat. And I bring up the retro because at that time I was wondering if my love for video games was something that was inherently juvenile or something that was like just because I was a kid and I had you know like rose tinted glasses or whatever right and playing Mass Effect 2 like I got that same like chill down my spine especially in the last mission which we'll talk about eventually I just I couldn't believe it I, I could not get over how much I love that game and like I had no one to talk to about it <laughs> <laughs> Which was a bummer, um, which was kind of surreal because then three came out and like you couldn't avoid it was like a sort of last Jedi scenario where like everyone had a take on it. And it was like so exhausting. Like you couldn't avoid discussion about it. Totally. We well, you know which we can talk more about that one day. But I think uh, honestly, that was one of the reasons I didn't check it out. Also, sure. I'm not just you, yeah. that I could only play it on my Nintendo Wii U, but <laughs> 
just exhausted by it yeah yeah it was a lot like you couldn't avoid that and i think a lot of people were like what is this why is everyone so mad about what happened anyway so then i obviously picked up three and i loved it i'll be honest i was initially disappointed by the ending but like they immediately released the free extended cut and like to me like really without saying what it was it just sort of felt abrupt Mm -hmm. i didn't dislike it conceptually and i think the re- i think the reason people were like so wild about it was like that game is so good up until that point that like if the whole game sucked i don't think anyone would have like been that worked up but it mm. really does feel like you know you're watching like return of the king and then it just cuts to the sopranos finale and you're like what <laughs> <laughs> but they like immediately for free release an extended cut and then like i don't know i i just i thought that like it's still like maybe not the best way to wrap up the finale but like it's so hard to do that you know like it's so hard totally to to there was so much pressure on that game from go yeah i won't i won't say too much because i don't know how mass Effect 3 ends but um if, if you want a good uh like breakdown of how trilogies work specifically um patrick willems really great youtuber uh released a video essay called the problem with trilogies recently that's like examining the matrix and the recent star wars stuff and uh yeah i i have a feeling a lot of that would probably map over to mass effect if i were to guess just based on what i've already played of one and two absolutely and i mean again like I think that Mass Effect 3, like, as the third installment of the trilogy, like, really, like, it it mostly succeeds. And I think it has the best, like, it has my favorite moments in the series. Like, the highs of it are, like, so good. Mm. Not to mention the DLC they added for that game is, like, incredible. And a lot of people, I think, didn't get it because, like, there was all this controversy around the game even before it came out that, like, a lot of people were, like, put off by it. Right. But the DLC is, like, what you want as a fan of, of the series. Like, so I'm very excited for everyone to get that right there's literally like an animal house like party with everyone dlc and it's like (laughs) it's perfect but anyway what i like about bioware games is you know i think that you have role-playing games like fallout and i guess like divinity uh where like it's very dnd centric it's very much like you can role play as anything and there are so many possibilities a uh, disco Elysium, I, I suppose as well would be in this camp yeah that, like there's so many open-ended things that like it's kind of up to you to role play and to like fill in the blanks in some ways even though there's a lot of like written content there to guide the experience it's so off the rails that like it's a very customizable experience what i love about bioware games is that it's like just a little bit more on the rails like they give you enough freedom to role play that you feel like you can be your own character Mm. but it's there's there's fewer options that the options that are there have a lot of meaning you know i think that there's something a little bit and this is subjective, but I mean, there's something a little bit loose about like how wild Divinity Original Sin 2 is where like I can talk to ghosts and like eat ghosts and like, you know, it's just like <laughs> it's cool and I get why that's the appeal and they're totally different games. But I think in the sphere of RPGs and like what I want from a Bioware RPG is I really want to feel like I got to know the cast. I got to like really make decisions that mattered. And yeah, that, that's that's really what I want. It's pretty simple. Um, and yeah. I think they've always been ahead of the curve with like just the quality of writing and like the world building. Um, yeah, because well, I mean, just just to back up a little bit and kind of explore that. I mean, I, I I think a lot about how hard I bounced off of Divinity: Original Sin, and like in some instances, even like some Bethesda stuff, I've also found like I I never play the main campaigns of any of those fucking games. <laughs> you know, yeah, like right as much what I've what I've learned over time is like I really like a more authored experience. Yes, you know? that's um, a great term for it. Yeah. 
the problem with Bethesda's stuff, which is like the closest analog I have really to like stuff that I've enjoyed that's kind of like Bioware, is like the main campaigns of those games are too authored. And there's like an in-between there that being able to like go around to a place like the Thieves Guild and like join that and just like do that. And like that's a choice that I made. I, I, I made a choice to join the Thieves Guild because I thought that's what this character would do. And I got to go do that. And that's cool. But also it's a discreet story that I'm like making my way through and I feel good about it. And you can make some choices within there. What Bioware managed to do in their heyday and in their prime is like find that really delicate balance between here is like an authored narrative, but also you're making choices that matter. That's not so open ended that you feel an anxiety, which is what I frequently felt with Divinity Original Sin 2 was like I rolled the character, started playing and got to a point where I was like, oh, my God, did I fuck up when I made the character? (laughs) Right. Like before I even understood how to play the game or what was going on here, like I made a mistake and like that's not the case really with Bioware stuff you can make mistakes you can fuck up but like you kind of know before you make the choice you yeah. know what's going to happen one way or the other which like my experience with the the Knights of the Old Republic games and what I've played of the Dragon Age stuff that I've really liked are those instances in which like I'm making a character that feels true to me uh, but also I'm just along for the ride which is what I want and that seems to be yeah. what Mass Effect is giving me like at peak Bioware really yeah I, I would consider peak Bioware like Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect 1 and two like that era yeah and like for some people that's kotor and i get that oh there's there's something about mass effect immediately that is like oh this strikes the exact balance i want out of this i think it's something where you can tell that it's probably something that they've been wanting to make for a long time like Mm. mass effect one even though it's like a little bit aged in some ways and is clunky still like it does feel like the crystallization of like what bioware had been working on up until that point i mean corridor is an amazing take on a pre-established franchise but like this is their franchise this is like their sci-fi world yeah and it's so impressive and like there's a reason why people still love these games and even after the like waves of like exhausting topics with the third game like people still wanted to go back i think at that at this point that is kind of faded away i think it was like the 2012 drama of the week and now it's like well you know i i imagine there'll still be conversations about the ending but in my opinion they've more than made up for it and at the end of the day it's like it's their game that crosses into a line of like make last jedi again for me territory you know right. like you know there's and what's interesting is like i understood that people were like upset you know and, and like you can dislike the ending but the demand to like you've got to fix this is like a very dangerous territory to walk in i very much know? agree yeah but yeah i think the reason i consider inquisition like the last buyer i mean to be completely fair i haven't played andromeda and i haven't played anthem i probably won't play anthem andromeda i might check I played out one anthem. day yeah i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> I own a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda that I have not played also. I got them both on the same day for $5 each. The thing about Andromeda is like that game came out in a pre-Anthem Bioware world. Like their last game was Inquisition, which like did very well, you yeah. know, and like people were excited and the stakes and the, like the ex- expectations were very high. So the fact that that game came out and was a kind of like a C plus, um, I think it got like a little bit too heavily criticized from what I've seen. Like I've seen a lot of people like who are fans of Mass Effect kind of slowly warm up to Andromeda, especially in a post-Anthem world. That's where one it's of like, the reasons I picked it up because I, right. I, I always felt at the time that like the things that it was being not for were like oh yeah the facial animations are weird but like that doesn't mean that the whole game should be written off you right. know i've heard it's actually very fun mechanically the the main critiques i've heard of it though are just like the writing isn't as good which is like mm. why you play these games yeah right but i'm a little bit saddened by that because like 
So, you know, the the two games that are like on the horizon for Bioware are the new Dragon Age, which like I'm very up in the air about because like while I'm excited and like I want that to be good, there was that article that came out that was like EA is going to let Bioware make that be a single player RPG because of the success of Jedi Fallen Order and the failure of Anthem. Yeah. And like the fact that that was just casually said when for all this time, Dragon Age 4 has been like the like, please, if you can hear me, allow Dragon Age 4 to be good, like be the redemption. Like it's always yeah. been the like, maybe this game will be good. And the fact that up until recently, it was going to be like an Anthem type game, which full disclosure, I'm not against that being the case, but that was not forecasted at all right. like when you say there's going to be a new dragon age people assume it's going to be a single player rpg i'm actually very into the idea of like making a destiny game but having it be like medieval fantasy that sounds very fun like totally. i would be into that yeah but like the fact that that's what it was going to be up until recently makes me very <laughs> doubtful what that game is going to look like mm. and i hate to be pessimistic but i just am the new mass effect all we know is that liara is in it and that it's a veteran team quote unquote so like I just am worried yeah. that the the lessons learned from Andromeda are the wrong ones and that like, oh, we can't have new writers. Like that's not the that's not the lesson. Like I'd like you to let new people work on these projects. Yeah. But um there's a lot going on there. But I just think Inquisition to me really worked because again, like it was very role-playing centric and it was done in a way where the moral alignment system was just like you made decisions and characters either liked it or disliked it and they would confront you on that. That stuff worked really well. Where Inquisition falls a little bit flat is like you can tell there was pressure to like make it a open world game because like they kind of gate story missions by like making you do these side quests that are just not fun. And like while the open world is really beautiful and there's like a lot of really cool locations, it's just so weird that I have to do busy work just to keep playing the game you know yeah, yeah. So it's kind of an identity crisis there that gets in the way but like the actual core game is wonderful and it's like a really great experience i still like origins more but inquisition is definitely worth playing so i don't know i'm just like really trying to figure out like where bioware is at now and like what these new games look like that being said i'm just so happy to have this trilogy back because it's it really is like one of the best series that exist and i like can safely say that now playing as little of one as i have because that's the point where i'm like okay does this hold up is this as good as i remember and like i'm enjoying one even more and i'm so excited to get to two and three with like that save file information yeah i've never been more sure that i'm gonna like complete an entire trilogy of video games <laughs> you know than, than in my like first hour and a half of this game already because I'm just like yeah. so immediately smitten by what's going on here and thank you thank you for all of that uh, about Bioware yeah I hope I answered your question I know that opened like a lot of different conversations but yeah, I hope I yeah, no, it I, I think yeah. it did because the expectations here are so high you know and and it's interesting, I, I think, as you mentioned in our first segment, it's interesting to see a Bioware that's like, what if we revisit the past and what worked before we move on to what's coming? And I kind of hope that that's been the mentality in a way. I hope that the mentality has been like, while revisiting the original trilogy, like, let's let's like pick out the, the best things about it as we move on into the next Dragon Age and the next Mass Effect. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've... I've enjoyed what i've played of bioware stuff you know i've played like like i said like four to five hours of both kotor games um and dragon age origins and inquisition and i played a whole bunch of mass effect 2 that i don't really remember uh kind of just wiped from my brain so i'm excited to like revisit that with kind of fresh eyes but mass effect always seemed like the one that i was gonna like the most of of everything that they've ever worked on um even though i have this like predisposition to like oblivion over fallout as we talk about <laughs> all the time like mass effect always seemed like the thing and mainly i mean it's just like it's star trek 
Trek, you know, like it's like, okay, here's a studio that wants to make a Star Trek game, but uh, like not going to get that IP. So they get to make their own thing. And their take on that is so immediately arresting. Like, it's so cool. And as you mentioned in, in, in the earlier segment as well, like even just the idea of taking humanity and making them like the new kid on the block is so great. <laughs> like it's it is. So, yeah, it works so well so immediately um and and i i was kind of wondering also in in the context of like talking about the the creature design and how the aliens you know the, like some of them look a little bit more humanoid but some of them you know like uh I, I don't remember the names of any of them but like the elephants without trunks that you were talking the about Elcor. Yeah. the Elcor, for example um you know the the question that's been on my mind which i i think the game is like pointing me towards asking is like are the ones on the council just there because they look the most humanoid? Like they just kind of all look the same and they feel good about it. And all the ones that don't look like that are like relegated to just doing like weird menial tasks around the Citadel instead. Like, cause that kind of sucks. The, the, the strange like distrust between all of these civilizations that are supposed to be like, you know, one collective unit. What, it, what is it called? What is that? It, the, the council. Is it the council? I mean, like they don't have humans on the council yet. They're like still new. They still need to prove themselves. Right. And and that to me is kind of a strange strain. You know, when you talk to the other races that like have been in this, you know, fed, I'll just call it the Federation or whatever for now. Yeah. But, like in this like Federation of Planets, the ones that have been there like for thousands of years and have still not been granted access. But the humans right. showed up like recently and are like being considered at all is like, OK, they just also kind of look humanoid like the other ones. And I get why there's that like strange tension between all of these races this uh, is also one of the few games where i read what's in the codex whenever i get stuff because there's a lot of context yes. that even adds more to that like for example the when the humans first made contact with other species it was with the turians and it immediately erupted into war which i think is oh why turians in general are so distrustful of humans other than garrus like they're all like the most outwardly rude to humans yeah it was i think it was called the first contact wars because i think the turians saw the humans as most like them so there was like this like immediate kind of like rivalry between the two mm. the asari are interesting because the asari theoretically are they present themselves to appear like as whatever species is talking to them so the idea is that they look human because like shepherd is a human there's a scene in Whoa. uh mass effect 2 where there's like an asari dancer in like a club and there's a Krogan, a Solarian, and a human all arguing what she looks like. They're like, she's clearly Solarian. Uh, oh my God. Which is kind of silly. But yeah, they like, the Asari uh, reproduce like telepathically, uh, but the kid is always an Asari. And they like carry the like information and genetics of whatever the, the partner was. Wild. Yeah, yeah there's which so is much. Why when you meet Liara, she's like, do you want to date? Like right away. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, do you want to go out? But uh, yeah, there's 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 so much you can do. And that's why I think like I've always wanted to see just like other games set in this universe, you know, mm. like so even if it's like not about Shepard, like what I've wanted for forever is like an Arkham type game starring Garrus called like Archangel or something where like <laughs> it's just his years as a vigilante in uh, Omega. That would be amazing. Yeah. But I guess while we're on the topic, like what's like really I know we've talked just mostly about like the setting and the lore and stuff, but like what's really pulling you in this time, like story wise and character wise and all that. I'd love to hear. Yeah. I won't get too specific, I guess about things that are happening, but the game kind of opens with like you create your character and you have like a little away team and you're supposed to go down on a planet to like recover a beacon. I won't really say much more than that um, about, you know, that setup, but the, the implication, not even implication. I mean, they just like pull you aside and tell you, but what's happening here is that there is a Turian who is part of this group called the Spectres. 
Marines who are like this kind of above the law, kind of like paramilitary force that only answers to the council, like the three council right. members, like they only answer to them. The council handpicks, uh, I'll say people, the people that get to join the specters and you are potentially being considered as like the first human specter, right, um, right. which is like a huge deal because that could be like the the avenue in which humanity gets to eventually join the council and like right. become like the fourth race that gets to sit in that high tower. So it's like a big deal that there's, you know, a specter here watching you. And, you know, I mean, it's the inciting event of a fucking trilogy of video games. So obviously it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I just I immediately found that fascinating, like this idea that there's like this terrifying military force that can break laws at will, kind of like 007 shit, you know? Yeah. But like even even more frightening and militarized that only answers to three people it was like immediately terrifying. I was like, I don't want to join them. It reminded me so much of Dragon Age when they're yeah, like the Grey Wardens. Yeah. 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 When they're like, you can join the Grey Wardens. It's like that actually sounds fucking terrible, man. I don't want to do that. And what what kind of bummed me out about that game is like there are so many choices that you get to make, you know, that are like you could you could like cast off all of your party members. You could play the whole game solo because you piss everybody else off. But like I just kept saying, like, I don't want to join the gray wardens i don't want to join the gray wardens they're like no 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 drink from this weird cup <laughs> and uh and and you have to join them anyway um i am more interested in becoming a specter in the case of mass effect i, I just think it's like kind of weirdly better storytelling in this case i i feel better about joining the specters in this case not that i i don't know if that'll happen or not like per se but like it seems like things are kind of pointing in that direction i'm more okay with it because like it's good for humanity you know it's also up to you how much you embrace like the law or not like it's up to you right like as a great warden you have to have nightmares about orcs and you know do yeah. the thing but like as a specter, like you don't have to constantly bend the rules of others to your will. It's up to you in every moment. Right. And that's kind of the more important thing is like, you know, you join the Grey Wardens and then you you just are a Grey Warden and like that's your job and that's like the rest of the game. And in this case, like being a specter is just like a piece of being Shepherd. And and you can choose like how much you're going to take advantage or not. And that's literally the Paragon and Renegade system. Right. And that's also what's really fascinating is that in this first game, you you know, whenever you complete a mission, my favorite part of it is like when you complete a mission, you go back to the ship and there's like new dialogue with all your party mates yeah and the council will like comment on what you did so like cool for example when i spare the rachni queen the turian's like what the fuck did you do like do you have any <laughs> like our children's children's children will pay for that like that you just like ruin the lives of the future yeah and you can defend yourself and that's you know that's like one of the one of the first big decisions but i think the council almost represents like paragon at its best and worst where like yeah they are trying to consider especially like the asari you know is really trying to be like objective but you know they're so objective that they are are slow to act and like mm -hmm. there are many cases where shepherds like you doubted me before and look what happened like you've got to listen to me like i'm not making this stuff up and they're yeah. like we will think about it so like <laughs> there's that element of the council that might push you to be more renegade kind of like Udina, who's like buckling under that bureaucratic red tape. Yeah. In Mass Effect 2, uh, I mean, it's not a spoiler. You report to the elusive man who's the opposite of that. He is the yeah, renegade the, extreme. The elusive man is one hell of a character. I just think it's really cool that those games allow you to like kind of play your character 
character in opposition to who you have to report to. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating. Yeah, I want. Yeah, I wonder how much of that. I, I'm sure very, but I wonder how much of that is like there's an intentionality behind there because like the writers or the developers kind of want to like lean you towards a specific thing. It's like, no, I'm going to revolt against this person. Well, what's funny is that in I think in the Game Makers Toolkit episode of Mass Effect, I got to watch that. I can't believe I haven't seen that one. I've seen like pretty much everything on that channel. I don't know how I missed that. The data they gathered was that like 90% of players went Paragon in the first game, like when it came out. So like mm. the writers are like, we really messed up. Like if, if there's that much of like, you like no one went Renegade and we put so much work into like that side of things, we have to rethink this. Yeah. So in Mass Effect 2, they made Renegade like, because there are some Renegade options in one where it's like, I killed everyone, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> Like I literally, oh I, I, I talked to a guard and like something went wrong in the other room and I, you know, had to fight them. And that happens a lot in Mass Effect 1. Like you might like end up just having to fight people without even realizing that you've like done that. Yeah. Which like can kind of <laughs> be weird sometimes. But anyway, like she was like, I heard a lot of noise. Is everyone okay? And then one of the, <laughs> one of the options was like, that was me. I killed everyone in the room. I'm like, this is oh not Shepard. Yeah. At least not Stephen. Hi, Shepard. <laughs> But yeah, I think um, in Mass Effect 2, they made Renegade like a little bit. They added this thing where there are like quick time events and cutscenes that will like flash either a Paragon or Renegade option. So like mm. the Renegade quick time events are just too fun to pass up because you'll just like <laughs> deck someone in the face or, uh, <laughs> you know, like there's one classic moment where Shepard goes like, you work too hard. And he like tases someone and like walks through the door. <laughs> so fun there's one quick time event that i won't spoil that's in three that like literally everyone even people who have gone 100 paragon have to do it there's like one you just have to do uh, and you'll know it as soon as it arrives okay great but yeah i think um what's interesting though is that like renegade is usually the anti-authority option but in two it's like if you're pro the organization you're working for you get renegade points even though it's like not really it's a little weird in some moments where there's like a way to play that game renegade where you're like anti-authority even in that case but then there's another way to play it where you're renegade but you're just like really mean (laughs) (laughs) so you know that's also like that's the balance of shepherd and that's like what works and what doesn't work and that's kind of the point of the game makers toolkit episode is like shepherd being this weird middle ground is like both to the detriment and the benefit of the series and like it is such a hard thing to pull off that like this is probably the best you can do it honestly Mm. like you know even with the nitpicks here and there like the way they've made shepherd be like just multiple enough yeah is like a really delicate balance yeah and that gets back to what i was talking about between like authored content and like putting everything in the hands of the player and and it seems like it's i mean just as much work on both sides in, in a way what's fun too and i didn't know this until i watched that video in mass effect one like i said everyone every character you get is on the spectrum of renegade to paragon i think it's rex if rex is the most renegade and then after rex is more paragon it's rex garris ashley tali liara and Caden. Mm. But but based on how you talk to them, you can kind of mold them to one side or the other. Great. So you I love can it. like the one that's most noticeable is Garrus because Garrus joins and he's like, "I'm a renegade. I don't play by the rules. That's why I left CSEC. And you're like, "That's a bad way to leave a place." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, you're right." So it's it's really cool that like they allowed you that freedom over the characters and mm-hmm. like as you're role playing Shepard, you can also like sway the people close to you. Yeah. That's not as big of a thing in two and three, even though there's like a ton of choices you can make that like will directly 
unpack those characters. Um, I will save my conversations about the cast until you get farther in, because like, my God, is is this cast just so good? I, yeah. I'm in love with everyone in this game, other than the humans tend to be boring. I don't know what it is. Like every time you get a human party mate, other than like Anderson, everyone's like very boring or like off putting in some way. Like yeah. Ashley hates other aliens, and that's that's her like vibe, and it just sucks. Yeah, a- Ashley's racist. Joker, the cat, like the the pilot, is also racist. Like I, I, I just don't want to hang out with either of them. And Caden's just nothing. Just seems to be like a blank slate of a per- he's a tabula rasa made man. Shepard, have you ever had cereal before? See you later, Caden. <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> don't talk to me right now. Yeah, but like without saying too much, and this is not an indication of anything, but Rex is only a playable character in the first game. So like get your Rex time in while you can. That's all I'll say. Rex is uh, playable? He he isn't a squad mate in the other two games. Oh, okay. So like, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's the only time you have Rex like in your party. Okay. So that's always an incentive for me to like always have Rex with me. Mm. And he's just like, it's fun to have like the extreme on your team you oh know, yeah like, yeah that'll probably be the direction i go in anyway right and yeah it's just i do think the thing that's like a little bit lacking in this game is like there are a lot of moments where like it's like maybe a little bit unclear where to go like your journal will say like here is where the quest is like they'll tell you the building but they won't mark it on your map so you have to like check your journal and then check the map and mm-hmm. like that lends itself to like i'm also like i easily get lost in games like it's just a weakness of mine or it's something i have trouble processing but there are some missions where like i get very lost and there's just like like ambient no like there's no dialogue there's like nothing and like that kind of bums me out because like it just feels like there's like a lot of like empty space but like the moments in which like you get the party chatter are just so good and that's like way more present in two and three which is cool yeah i do remember that about two i I specifically remember like going and doing all the um the like party member side quests uh yeah like really 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 like over indexing on doing that versus anything else it's interesting too like the one thing i'll say about one as well is it's much grittier than the other ones like they're always kind of like high stakes and actiony but this one feels like they're going for kind of a slightly darker tone than the other to mm, just in terms of like i don't know it, it has that sort of like uh dragon age origins quality where there's like a lot of like very heavy stuff happening and like the fact that shepherd can be a little bit more morally gray adds to that yeah. it feels the most like um it also feels the most star trek it feels like way more star trek whereas the other two feel a little bit more like star warsy yeah and that like they're a little bit more not even action oriented, but just like they're more of a simple adventure. Whereas this game is like you can just get like Nickelodeon slimed by lore at any at any turning. Yeah, point. yeah. There's complexity in everything, which I think is one of the things that I've yeah. been enjoying a lot so far. Is like it, no, nothing is nothing is as easy as Paragon or Renegade, you know, right, in, in a way. Right. I mean, like even talking about the Spectres, like I was kind of put off by them, but like it seemed like oh, everybody really wants you to join the Spectres. And then I went and talked to the Turian ambassador, and the, like one of the first things he said, he was like, I don't trust the specters it's a weird <laughs> it's weird that we have this like group of people just operating above the law like this that 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 seems sketchy to me and i was like yeah yeah, yeah. right um yeah, there's there's a lot of brilliant stuff like that i mean honestly my takeaway in short from playing the first one again is like i definitely want to play the first one multiple times now the first time i played Whoa. the first game i like really just muscled through it because i had to yeah and this time i'm like i want to see everything i want to do everything even though like i know the other two games play better i just love being here and uh yeah, i'm excited too. to stream more of it too yeah i mean like as evidenced by the fact that we just did an entire episode of this podcast based on an hour and a half of me playing this game <laughs> I am going to fall madly in love with it and I'm I'm going to be like unchill about it. 
which is fun. Join the club, man. I've been, yeah. I've been holding it in for years. <laughs> We're finally on the same page. We can maybe even end the show if we want. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, between this and playing Fire Emblem Awakening at the same time is like <laughs> two, two competing rabbit holes. You're getting college Steven in like a shotgun blast. <laughs> Anyway, uh, do you want to wrap up for now on Mass Effect and we'll return? I think we'll probably like do a couple more episodes on the games as we go through them and then we'll probably eventually do like a bonus on all three. But I imagine we'll like talk to the experience as like when we get to two, I imagine we'll bring that up at some point on a standard episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, stuff like that. So, yeah. But yeah, expect more uh, me content. <laughs> all right, let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get out of here. Shepard. Do you realize that all these stars are other worlds? No. What are other worlds? <laughs> Shepard, give me something to kill. All right, let's take a break. Uh, hey. That was cool. Steven and everyone. That's how the Elcor say hello. <laughs> Excited, long, monotonous hello. <laughs> we have something important we wanted to bring up on the show and, uh, we wanted to also like really, uh, we're always open for feedback, but we wanted to really take like a whole segment of the episode to bring up what we're about to talk about and also like open the floor to any questions or concerns from you, the dear listener. So basically, Brendan and I recently had a long conversation about the show and about essentially compensation. So for the longest time, and, and we still are, you know, we haven't really swayed from our mantra on this. We started doing the show because we wanted to do it. We enjoy doing it. We we happily put in the time and effort to make it. And it has grown in ways neither of us could ever have expected. So <laughs> I think that the intention of making the show never was like, how do we make money off this? And we've been actively kind of very hesitant to monetize it at all. Yeah. Uh, famously, we didn't have a Patreon until people asked for it. Literally, this is not a humble brag. People asked us, how do we give you money? And we made a Patreon. We briefly had a patron-only newsletter, uh, which we decided that we didn't really want to pay all that because we were like really proud of the writing there, and we also didn't want to like divide up the audience at all. And we wanted to more prominently feature writers and artists that we had on the newsletter. That's all still on our Medium page. That has been less active, but it's still like a platform now we just like have open to doing whatever with. So like we kind of just saw it like, okay, this is like literally a different enough medium that we can just have it like to play around with whenever we get the inspiration rather than like a something we had to do all the time. And again, like we sort of settled on this idea for the Patreon being like, if we get any support at all, we will do the monthly bonus episodes that are available for everyone. And that's still going to be the case. But basically, we kind of reflected on a lot and we were encouraged by some of our colleagues to like really reflect on like how much time and effort we're putting into the show and and how like there's a sort of fine line between not paywall and content and also like trying to find a way to compensate us for the work we're doing because at the end of the day all three of us aj brendan and myself all have day jobs and we put a lot of work into the show and we want to keep doing it and it will help us do the show more if we can in some way make it a sustainable thing financially yeah i think a lot of this kind of stemmed from answering some of the questions we answered in the last episode and like yeah. needing to like really sit down and like reflect on like okay what do you what do you want to do because i think one of the questions was something along the lines of like is this what you want to do like professionally and like even as as recently as last week like sitting there and thinking about it it was like yeah i, I don't i don't know if that's the case but my thought has always been like if we could grow the show to a point where that is possible like i wouldn't say no to that 
you know, right. was always the thought. So I, I guess just like to back up a little bit, this is going to sound like a non sequitur, but it is, it's all tied together, I promise. Um, but like going back to like starting No Script at All, which was like the Terrace House podcast I used to have with my friend Andrea and uh, and starting the network, the the worst garbage out online and all that kind of stuff. Like that all stemmed from essentially like a just me wanting to learn what it was like to make a podcast and like grow it and like be successful at it and stuff so I could like help other people do it. But also, you know, I, I was working at Anchor at the time, which was like a free podcast hosting platform. Um, and I spent a lot, a lot of time while like working on that service, like considering what it meant to have a podcast hosting platform that was completely free. You know, like if there is no barrier to entry monetarily to making a podcast, hosting a podcast, like getting the word out, you know, um, what is what does that look like, I guess, for the medium, um, which I think has, you know, ballooned in a way that is like only beneficial to everybody. Uh, and there are a lot of like voices that were underrepresented that are like now able to like speak up and have like really wonderful shows on the Internet, yeah. which I'm like so fucking happy about and proud of. And and on top of that, it was like, OK, well, now that that's off the ground, like what's the next step there? And my next thought was always like, what does a podcast network look like when it's totally unhooked from money, essentially? Like if you if you could spin up a show, do five episodes, see if people like it um, and it costs you nothing. Like, what does that allow for? Like, could you just audio shit post on the Internet all the time? And like <laughs> you had a whole network of shows that were just shit posts. Like, great. Cool. That's awesome. Like, I, I would love to see that. And that's been like my driving philosophy for such a long time is like my thought was always we want the show to be listener supported uh we want the network to be listener supported like if if people like the show enough you know and they want to support it like that's that's amazing and that that's recognition uh, for like what you're doing as, as a person who's creating something right so when initially talking about monetizing the show at all for Patreon, it was like I felt really reticent about like paywalling anything. I felt really like hesitant about like having anything behind the paywall. And that's why the things that we did were like, here's a newsletter, right? It's like you're here to listen to the podcast. But if you want something that's a completely different fucking medium from what we're doing and the thing that you like, you know, it's here and it's it's on the Patreon. You can access it. The other stuff was like we had a we had a Google Drive that was like filled with uh, all the episode art, like the higher res versions of all the episode art and like mobile wallpapers and like desktop wallpapers and all that kind of stuff. It was like stuff that wasn't podcast episodes, essentially, you know, because we wanted the bonus episodes specifically to be available to everybody because of the patrons. And I, I think recently it's just like looking at like my own financial situation and stuff like we we spend a lot of money on the show. Like the show is no longer free to make, yeah. you know, which is like uh, for a long time, you and I were just playing the games that you and I were going to buy and play anyway, you know, and talking about them. But like over the course of, I would say like the past like year and a half maybe has like kind of turned into like we're checking out stuff for the show pretty much a lot of the time. And although we make enough money on the Patreon every month to be able to support paying AJ to produce the bonus episodes, like we're not making enough to, for me to be able to pay him for the regular episodes. So like paying AJ for the work that he does, which is amazing amazing like that's all out of pocket also you know yeah. and, and it allows us to save the patreon money for like bigger things um which like we have one that we're working on but like we're dumping a bunch of the patreon money into like a really cool thing that i think will and be it's helped yeah but yeah. i think you're right in that like even with that support we're still in the negative and again we're not yeah. even thinking that way in terms of like profit margins but like we are actively spending money and time on the show yeah and it we're, we've 
now been doing this for three years and like we want to keep doing it and we want to keep it growing. And I think like we would both benefit from the possibility of like having it at the very least pay off itself. Yeah. And at, and ideally be in a position where like we could, you know, I'm not trying to leave my day job anytime soon, but like if we can have more time and energy to like commit to this show, because we're also, you know, working full time, have our own personal lives and our other creative projects. Like we're very busy and that's a good thing. And I'm happy and I'm like honestly grateful to be employed right now. Like I'm not trying to like, yeah, absolutely. you know, change anything overnight. But I just think that like we saw an opportunity to like have this show grow in, a, in another way. And I and I think the longer, you know, you and I are so adverse to that, like we are so <laughs> anti getting paid for this that I think we were an, a, like at a point where we were kind of selling ourselves short, you know, and I, I think that like our ideologies have not changed. Like we are not just for full, like we're, we're going to announce our plan in a second for full disclosure. The show you are getting will basically be the same if whether you yeah. pay or not. Yeah. The standard episodes <laughs> are going to be out. And the bonuses will still be for everyone. Because even though they're called bonuses, they become such a part of our standard ritual that like, I want that to be for everyone. Yeah. Like, even if it's at the expense, it doesn't make sense. I still want everyone to get that. That is like our yeah. promise to you. That will not change. Absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you're if you cool with me announcing the general plan now. Yeah, sure. Uh, that we've been teasing it. What's so funny too is I feel like we've like made this so dramatic and you're going to hear it and be like, yeah, it's fine. But we just really... <laughs> yeah. for, for us, it's like mortifying. For us, it's like, yeah, for us, it's this like negative thing, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that's cool, that's fine." Like, yeah. I've I've checked in with some close friends, and everyone's like, "Do it." Why is this? What you, I thought you were sick. Like, what's going on? Yeah. But again, like we really, even though we just made that bit, like, please communicate to us how you feel about this. So this is the general plan. Two things I think are pretty exciting, and and there's one thing that I think is the most up in the air, and probably the bigger point of conversation. So one is it's something we've been in in the works in for a long time. One is merch. We wanted to do that for a while, and we'll be more actively working towards that soon. I think we're going to partner with artists we really like and like feature their stuff. It might be something where we have like a few items always for sale and maybe we cycle out some items. So that's fun. That will not be like the biggest concern for us. But that's something that will exist in the near future. Yeah. The other thing, and this is probably where I'm most open to feedback and ideas, is that in addition to the standard episodes on Wednesday and the monthly bonuses that are for everyone, we will have a patron only episode. Right now, I would love for that to be because I think the mantra I want to hold on to is I don't want anyone to feel like they're getting less show because they're not a patron. I want patrons to feel like they're getting more. So I never want it to feel like it's an incomplete show unless you're paying. I want it to be like, you're just get, if you really want more of us after the hours of stuff we give you, we will have the patron only episode. I think we're going to start once a month. And again, this is still up in the air, but the plan is like a once a month patron only episode that right now, the idea for that episode is to really do whatever, like to do an episode that is maybe akin to leakage in a way where like, we're just kind of going off the rails or like maybe trying out something that is experimental. Like I really want it to be a creative space where we try stuff that isn't like, oh, you're only going to like it, it's not tied to the show directly. Like it will be because us. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not like we're just doing an extra bonus episode of like what you heard today. You know. Like right. it, it's not. It's not another thing just like this, and it's not going to be just like another bonus episode that like only patrons get to hear because that's like that's not interesting to us as like yeah. people who are making things to do. Exactly. So you know, and I, I think we're open to like if you have more concrete ideas of like what you'd like us to try out. But that's like a space where like I'd love to hear that. I mean, yeah, we've talked about things like we'll, we'll like do an episode 
episode about Star Trek The Next Generation or like right. or something, you know, or like E3 is coming. Like maybe there is something akin to leakage, um, you know, which like was just a random ass bonus episode that we just like felt compelled to record and release. And like that happens to us at least once a month anyway. Yeah. So like, <laughs> right. Why, why not do that? Um, so, that, that, yeah, that's kind of the thought there. That's the idea for what the patron only bonus would be. And again, please let us know like what are the things you'd like to see. And that will be a work in progress. Even if that's what we settle on, we'll always like look to like doing more or changing that up. So that will be like a cool experimental, like outside the aether vibe. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we qualify for ads in the show. And this is the biggest thing that I would want to hear concerns about because I yeah. certainly did at the thought of it. Very up but in the But at the end air. of the day, yeah. I think that it might be something we start doing because it's, you know, the standard way podcasts generate revenue. Of course, we would make sure it wasn't like Monsanto ads or whatever. Like we would vet <laughs> yeah, totally. what was happening. It would be stuff that like we feel okay about uh, having on the show. And, you know, if there was ever a point where we had a blind spot or something, please let us know. And this is still, this is the most up in the air thing. But it was something that we like really sat down and were like, are we okay with doing this? And, and we are, but at, at only if like you're comfortable with it. And I really mean that. And again, this is something that I've checked in with a lot of people and everyone's like, yeah, that's fine. But I, I still feel weird enough about it that I would want to like hear genuine concerns from the listeners. Cause the one thing that would change is that if you weren't a patron, you would get the ad breaks. And if you are a patron, you wouldn't. And I think like, honestly, I think we would both agree that like to qualify for no ads, it would be like a dollar. Like if you paid a dollar on the Patreon, that would get rid of ads. Yeah. I, I think that's actually probably worth mentioning is like i, I think yeah. we're planning on keeping the patreon model the same which is like a pay what you want to get access yeah, to stuff right exactly yeah so yeah if you if you back the show for a dollar you'll get the bonus bonus episode and uh you'll get no ads so that's the plan right now merch outside the aether patron episode mm -hmm. and ads and saying that out loud you know i i think this is pretty standard affair but like we have so vehement like we we close every episode basically saying don't back the patreon and i still want that to like i want anyone who does back it like we don't want anyone to be put in financial strain which is why we've thought about this so much that like we don't want the show to feel incomplete if you're not a patron that is like still vehemently where we draw the line absolutely yeah but i think having the show generate money will just allow us to do more of it i don't think anyone was like you know what? i want steven to be more tired and work harder for the show this will just help us grow like actually grow and that's an exciting we're very lucky to be even having this conversation but i just think we had to like really check in with ourselves and with everyone listening so that's that's the general plan right now yeah one of the one of the things about about the network also is like as we're testing out new shows and stuff like we test them all out in public and we like ask the discord and and listeners for feedback and stuff on like everything and and, and i definitely want to carry that philosophy through to this decision as well which is why we wanted to bring it up in this way because uh, like I, yeah i mean it's like antithetical to both how steven and i like operate as people to even be considering this stuff but you know we i i think like sitting down and like talking about that stuff in last week's episode like really kind of got my brain going and uh just like a couple conversations i've had with some people this week like really made me reconsider some of that stuff um enough to be able to like ask the question on the episode you know not to like yeah. say like oh this is definitely happening we're starting tomorrow but like right i like just to open the open the floor to it 
um, I do think like honestly have, having those patron bonus episodes just sounds like so much fun, which is kind yeah. of what I'm excited about. Um, but uh, yeah, I I've, I'm so with you that like the bonus episodes like need to be free forever because that's like such a cool, fun thing to be able to do. Also, that's the thing. It's like all just shit that we're excited about, you know? Yeah. Like we would never like do anything because like it and be like unexcited about it. I mean, I even think back to like some of the podcasts I used to listen to, some of my like favorite podcasts. Like the ad breaks were sometimes some of my favorite parts of those shows. Yeah, we would have fun with it. So like I, I, I think that like my worries are put aside when I talk to close friends who like would absolutely call me out if it was something that seemed like we were like jeopardizing like our morals. And <laughs> yeah. it's just not. Like I think I'm still on the fence enough with the ads specifically that I wanted to check in with the audience. So that's yeah. that's our plan. And to be clear about the ads thing, like I we're like on the fence about even qualifying based on like certain ad partners and stuff like that. Like it, it would be like such a long road and such a long conversation to even get there that like I, I don't even see that happening like anytime soon. But like it's a thing yeah. we're considering and like maybe going to like try and potentially pursue. Um, but, you know, who knows if that'll even work out. It's, sure. It's up in the air. And I, I would be, you know, I think that so the bigger change then would just be the patron only episode and and merch, which like, yeah, it's still in the philosophy of like, if you like the show, you can support it. So, yeah, but I think it's worth communicating that like you have been you have been putting yourself in financial strain to make the show like to be completely honest. You know, yeah. You've been paying out of pocket to properly pay AJ and like, yeah, and we're not on anchor anymore. So like hosting is you know that's like a monthly cost now that exists because our episodes were so long that anchor couldn't support them <laughs> so we needed to find <laughs> a, a podcast host that could support things like games of the decade which like thank you so much to transistor.fm for doing that i love that games of the decade lost us money <laughs> <laughs> but hey people liked it and i like doing it and yeah that's so really like not much is different but it's a big step for us and it's something we were caught we were you know worried about so that that's that's the plan please let us know what you think yeah and any any avenue that you want to reach out whether it's discord or twitter or email would love to hear any and all thoughts and on a, a more positive note like definitely want to hear you know ideas for the patreon um if you want to be a patron you want to see certain things please let us know and we'll consider them yeah yeah um, it's exciting i feel like we're both like saying this as if we like something bad happened it is exciting you know there's yeah. a part of it that like the fact that we have grown in this way like is very encouraging but it's also weirdly trepidatious you know as as these things grow it's like oh shit we're like a real thing now you know yeah man it's it's shocking to even like consider that yeah we're selling out <laughs> dear monsanto thanks for the check selling out doesn't exist anymore is kind of my thought i mean that, that's like a much larger conversation that we could have but that that's like inherent with the culture of of uh creators on the internet these days right but if we ever go electric people are gonna <laughs> revolt i honestly i want to count the butterfinger episode posthumously as an ad if we can <laughs> You you mentioned before we started recording that like our show has accidentally become an ad for Monsanto because we bring it up so often. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. That's I know. <laughs> Enron, 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 Enron. Inside, we're sponsored by Insider Trading and uh, embezzling. We're sponsored by whatever the fuck Tom Nook is doing with his books. This is this is the corporate heel turn of the aether. <laughs> it's like uh, you know the wrestler Kane. Yeah. There was an era where he became corporate Kane and he like didn't wear the mask anymore. He just wore like a full suit. No way. Yeah. Oh Maybe I dreamt it. Let me Google corporate Kane. Corporate Kane specifically? Yeah, corporate Kane existed. Oh my God, he's huge. <laughs> he's a wrestler. I'm not surprised. Yeah. He's, 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 <laughs> the wrestlers are pretty big. He's seven feet tall. That's that's really large. Yeah. Wow. I just didn't I never is that thought corporate Kane specifically, or is that Kane <laughs> and got, corporate Kane? He got Kane? bigger. 
<laughs> All this Enron milk has really helped me grow up. That's going to be us. We're going to be seven feet tall when we turn yeah. heads on. <laughs> Dude, Steven and Brendan got huge. They got fucking... No, not popularity. They're just bigger now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is so dumb. Uh, we want to wrap up? Yeah, yeah, I guess we should. Hey, I mean, we just did that whole like preamble and stuff. So you kind of like know the deal uh, into the castle online yeah. is where everything is available. Oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't mention this at all. I meant to mention this at the top of the episode. And I completely forgot. You finished your Nuzlocke run. Oh, yeah, I did. Holy shit, man. Cosmically, just in time for the for Mass, Mass Effect, Effect yeah. trilogy. Yeah, um, it ended. I won't spoil how, but it is over. Um, it was such a fun series. And I like 20 episodes. Exactly. 20 episodes. Uh, it, there's a lot. There's like 40 hours of Nuzlocke Run on our YouTube. I shared. <laughs> yeah. There was only one time where I grinded off stream. And yeah, the whole experience is there. It was a lot of fun. I will definitely do it again. I think my plan is once uh, Shining Pearl and Brilliant Diamond come out, I'll do a Nuzlocke for that game. Oh my God. So that's, I'm glad there's like six months of rest between that though. Cause like <laughs> I was kind of getting to the point, I'm like, okay, let's wrap this up. I want to hang out with Garrus. So <laughs> yeah, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you all for, that was like definitely the first project since Lester that like seemed to like uh, at least like be like kind of creatively inspired in that way for me you know like it was like kind of a little series of its own yeah. which is fun yeah I, feel, yeah I feel like you and I are like weirdly charting our own strange waters with, uh, with, with the video <laughs> series we've been doing because I think that that's like the third like fully complete one at this point right is like Link's Awakening Hollow Knight and now this Nuzlocke run, which I, I love. Yeah. It's just like, hey, you could just sit down and you could watch this whole thing. Totally, yeah. There, there's an era <laughs> where like I started and stopped a lot because I didn't have like a full setup yet. And my goal with Mass Effect is like to, you know, periodically check in so you get like kind of an abridged version of the trilogy. Yeah. And that will be kind of like half important moments and half whenever I feel like it because I want to play on my own. Yeah. But I think I'll probably like stream after we're recording, I'll probably stream one again. And then like, uh, you know, for two and three, I'll probably stream like the beginning and end of those in some way. Mm. So it'll be fun. I, uh, I, I did like tease at the end of the last episode and I guess I'm doing it again at the end of this episode. So, you know, Steven, you're the only person who's going to hear this, you and AJ. But uh, I, I, I really want to do a full let's play of Judgment. Um, oh yeah in anticipation yeah. of the sequel now that it's been announced um and i keep like turning the game on and like opening up obs and like getting ready to record it and like something always comes up that prevents me from hitting record like some, like i'll get a phone call or whatever recently this week it's just been like do i really want to start this detective game when famicom detective club is coming out the same week <laughs> like that feels yeah. a little strange so i don't know I, I put some time in famicom detective club i'm gonna keep doing it but i really 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 do uh have like full intentions of doing like a full judgment let's play because i yes. just like really want to fucking play that game all the way through yeah. i loved what i played so much of it like i played like four or five hours of it and it like made you know the top five of my games of the year that year um it's just did it i don't think it did it might have been top 10 i don't know yeah um, but it was in there i think it was 11 sorry I have, I have a weird memory of our own show it was in your favorites okay. it was a, it was i liked a it game. a lot and I, <laughs> the only reason it, i guess uh, actually it was yeah, not Jesus. top five Brendan. oh my god uh the, sorry, only, the only reason it wasn't higher i guess because i didn't play more of it um and uh i'm going to i'm going to do that i i really really want to um also probably worth mentioning i haven't streamed in a long time and that was mainly because like i had like weird internet issues uh and now it seems like they're fixed so i can stream again so that's cool so <laughs> i'd like to stream more and uh, I don't know what I'm going to stream yet, but uh, you're trying to get me to stream Famicom Detective Club, but I needed to play it for this episode. Now it turns out I didn't because Mass Effect is so good. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm far enough into it at this point that uh, 
Yeah, we'll do it some other time. But that said, you, I mean, this is like, you know, months away. So like, why even bring it up now? But uh, you, you've mentioned that potential like possibility of doing um, the second Famicom Detective Club, the girl oh, who stands yeah. behind, which is like a horror game on Twitch. I would love to do that together. I think if you and I yeah. like teamed up and did like a dual detective story trying to figure <laughs> out this like Bloody Mary situation uh, in this in this Japanese high school in the 80s like we should absolutely do that that sounds amazing yeah I mean I always for Halloween we'll do our usual like horror game streaming stuff uh, I had so much fun last year doing Alien Isolation so yeah I would love to do that together I would also love to stream together more in general like uh, I'm sure yeah. we'll do like Monster Hunter or something again that, w- that would be good yeah I, I just am waiting for like the next game that's like obviously you and I should stream it together you know yeah because every once in a while right. that happens there's always like okay Okay, this is the clear candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, into the cast out online. <laughs> <laughs> That's that'll be it for this week. And again, uh, let us know what you think about our plan. We will be back next week. Uh, actually, we're recording our awakening bonus next week, which is exciting um, with our friend Alana Oaken. So that will be coming out like I guess towards the end of the month. Yeah, it might come out like earlier than they usually do because we're doing it earlier. But uh, you uh, know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited to do that. Oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that game is so it's good it's been really it, again it's been like very weirdly nostalgic to play i brought up before how like in college i was like did i love games just because they're nostalgic and now i'm playing the games that i fell in love with at the time of college and being nostalgic for them mm-hmm. it's full circle <laughs> anyway uh thank you so much for listening everyone yeah thank you so much for your support to even allow conversations like we just had to be possible um it's really unreal uh we hope you have thank a wonderful you so much rest of your day we love you and that's it into the cast online goodbye goodbye pwg the worst garbage the online